Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 4 today. What, what do we count as progress? Spiritual progress individually as a church? Normally, churches have a tendency to count attendance as the number one mark of progress. Now, let me obvi- say the obvious. An attendance number is a good number. Numbers are people. and pe- that, you know, A church that has a lot of people... That's a lot of people hearing the gospel and hopefully drawing closer to Christ. So I don't want to discount numbers. But hopefully we also recognize that a church can be really big and not necessarily spiritually healthy. Uh, if anything, sometimes, sometimes big numbers may not be healthy because Jesus says small is the gate and narrows the way that leads to life and few find it. And so if every, wasn't it Abraham Lincoln that said you can please all the people some of the time or some of the people all the time? It, if everybody loves what the, what the preacher is saying, then he may not be stepping on toes enough. Uh, he may not be, uh, be, because Jesus offended people, right? So the, 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 we, look at the, we look at the Old Testament and the example of Israel and we see that the message of the prophets wasn't always popular. And so sometimes numbers, attendance numbers aren't the sign of progress. So then what is? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul speaks of more than attendance numbers. Ephesus, Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a struggling church, a divided church, center of paganism in the ancient world. Uh, one, of, one of the biggest cities in the world back then. Some people wonder if it was, at the time of Paul's writing, the biggest city on earth. Divided on teaching and direction, and we talked about direction a little bit last week. Paul tells us how to get past that, and it takes, and the word that he uses is training. Paul, one, I do think it's kind of neat, don't you think it's kind of neat? Paul watched the Olympics back then. And here we are in 2022, and we're still, we're still talking about the Olympics. Uh, that, that is kind of a neat connection to the ancient world. Lots of institutions, almost every institution, didn't survive from the ancient world. But we still do the Olympics. Paul, I am convinced, was a fan. He uses so many athletic terms, running and wrestling and struggling. And, and when he talks about training, the word that he uses is this athletic training. Um, and so we... And so, 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's, let's just dig right in. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which... God created 
to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. I, I will say with this text, I disagree with where the NIV put the paragraph markers. Uh, so if, if, if as you read through the Bible, you say, uh, he's picking weird places to stop reading. Paragraphs are things we added in English. Usually I agree with, with the NIV, but, but in this chapter, not necessarily. Ephesus had a problem. False and, and improper teaching had arisen among the church there. Um, Tim, Timothy, Paul says, you are the pastor uh, charged by God to deal with it. Go get him. But, but that requires a little bit more, doesn't it? It, it, it? it requires, first off, explaining what the problem is. Seeing that there is a problem is rarely an issue. When there's a problem, a lot of people can see that there is a problem. That part's easy. Uh, but, but do we see the problem, or, or do we see a plan to get over that? See, that's the, pro- the problem is not seeing the problem. The problem is dealing with the problem. We need a plan. I think that when it comes to spiritual growth, most people recognize that there is a need, and then it ends. And, and, and they say, I would love to grow spiritually, and that's as far as the conversation goes. There's not then a plan to get from A to B. Uh, many, many times, we don't even have an end goal. We don't even know what B is. We know that we don't want to stay at A. We know that we should grow spiritually, but we don't even know what that means, where we're going. I, I think some people don't. They, they know that they should grow spiritually, but at the same point, they don't want to go through that struggle. They don't want to, they, they want to be spiritual, but they don't want to grow spiritually um they many people their goal is when i die i want to go to heaven good enough that's why i became a christian um i i've accepted i've accepted jesus as my savior i'm done right when i when i die i get the reward and and that's it Uh, we don't want to be inconvenienced for our faith our problem as christians is that most of us are not very deliberate in our spiritual walk with God. Spiritual growth becomes therefore very hit or miss. If we're lucky, it kind of hits us when we're not looking, and, and, and maybe one day we wake up and we say, oh, hey, I guess I've absorbed some stuff over the last five years. I'm, I guess I am a little better than I was five years ago. Victory. But if we're unlucky, that strategy doesn't work at all. We've been in the church for 20, 30, 40 years, and we're not any more spiritually mature. We haven't grown for all these years that we've been coming to church. Uh, it, there's that statement, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up somewhere else. 
And spiritually, that applies to us too often. In everything else in our life, we have a plan. Uh, Anybody with a career followed a plan to get there. Um, I I went to Bible college and seminary and majored in in Bible translation. God took me on a weird side journey into locksmithing, and I did an old-fashioned apprenticeship and took the Associated Locksmith of America test to get the letters after my name that qualify me to work in, in government installations and things like that, and, and took the testing to do that. And, 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 and all of that kind of stuff takes plans. And in our careers, we are, we are willing to follow a plan to get from A to B. Even, even a driver's license takes a plan. takes studying the rules of the road. And, and everything else in our yeah, Grocery shopping. Uh, you, you know, everybody knows the statement, don't just... We, we know what happens when we're hungry and we decide, I'm kind of hungry, let's go grocery shopping, right? You buy all sorts of food. You don't, my, my wife makes detailed shopping lists because she's organized that way. And, she, know, and she, she keeps track of what we need. And if it was left to me and my lack of planning, I'd go buy three things and come home and realize I forgot the paper towels and forgot, the, forgot everything else that we kind of needed that we ran out of. I ended up, you know buying probably bacon and eggs and yogurt, and I'm done, because that's all I could think of at the time. When we grocery shop, we make a plan, or we make lots of trips. Planning is what we do in the rest of our life. We don't go through life by the seat of our pants, and yet spiritually, we're so bad about that, aren't we? Why would spiritual growth be different? We'll have haphazard results if we don't plan. So if I were to ask you the question, what is your plan for where you're growing, for how you're going to grow spiritually? What are you aiming for, and how will you get there? What would you answer? I am not convinced that, well, I go to church and listen to you once a week, Jason, is, is, the, ans- is, is the right answer. I don't think it's enough. Um, church, I see church like supplemental insurance. It's not insurance. I, I, I had supplemental insurance once, um, and, and that, you know, the point was that where insurance doesn't kick in, the supplement. Church is where we come and fill in the gaps. It, it's meant to supplement your spiritual growth throughout the week. Throughout the week, we're reading our Bibles and praying and, and a plan to grow. And the church is where we come together and, and, and do that. Have we done? Spiritual growth is essential. If we want to grow closer to God, we need a plan. Now, just simply put, your plan for growing is going to be different than mine. We're, we're all, we're, we're, it, it is not, spiritual growth is not a one-size-fit-all. There are some things we all need, church. Bible reading, prayer, everybody needs that. But what parts of the Bible you're reading, it's going to vary from person to person. I enjoy reading the wisdom of Christians that lived 1,000, 1,500 years ago. For me, I find that a benefit. That's not for everybody. Um, How we grow, but we've got to have a plan. Otherwise, we're just, you know, Week after week, you know, next thing we know, 10 years have passed and we haven't grown spiritually. It doesn't just happen. And so first, we need to have a plan and explain it. And that's, that's what Paul begins chapter 4 with. And then, once we've got our plan, we do have to put it into effect. Look with me at verse 7. 
have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe, command and teach these things. Our problem at the end of the day is that we sit around and talk about our problems, and it ends there. We're, we're so good about venting and complaining about what's wrong, and you all know people like this, and maybe you are people like this, I can do this at times, that I can complain about what's wrong and, and then take no steps to fix the problem. We love to talk about spiritual growth. We love to talk about growing the church, about reaching the lost, about serving our community. And then we go home from church and nothing changes for six and a half more days. And we see each other the next Sunday morning. Uh, we, I'm reminded of the words of James. In James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, do not merely listen to the word and So deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and immediately forgets, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intensely into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, He will be blessed in what he does. And then just one chapter later, in James chapter 2, verse 14, James asks the question, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Seeing a problem, this person's hungry, is not enough, is it? Uh, Seeing a problem, I need to grow spiritually, is not enough. We need to put it into effect. If we want to grow, we need to have a spiritual plan and then act on it. It can't, a plan is a great place to start, but a plan can't be where we end if it's just on paper, if it's just in our head. Um, plans must be carried out. Our faith must be deliberate. We cannot be passive and grow spiritually. Good intentions are not sufficient. Uh, we, good intentions don't get the job done. In fact, good intentions can be dead wrong. I, let, let me say, this is where I really like what Paul gets into. Notice that Paul doesn't actually talk much about spiritual growth. Here's the problem with the phrase spiritual growth. Physical growth, by and large, just happens. Yeah, it helps to eat good food. Nutrition makes a difference. But for eight years now, I have been telling my daughter to stop growing up. I like her as a kid, and every year that she gets a year older, 
is a year closer to when she's going to move away, and I will be very sad because I like having her around. So I keep ordering her, stop growing. She can stay an eight-year-old kid forever. I'm good with that. I like her around. And despite all of my telling her that, she's getting ready to turn nine in May, and she keeps disobeying me, and she keeps growing. Growth just happens. And Paul doesn't use that language then. That's, I, and, and see, that's where I think our problem is. When we talk about spiritual growth, physical growth, by and large, just happens. You don't have to focus on it. It's going to happen. Therefore, Paul doesn't use that phrase in chapter 6, does he? What Paul talks about is spiritual training. Now we get into that Olympic athletic language. Training is the better term. It takes effort. Physical growth comes naturally, but expertise and knowledge, these take work. We go back to our job training. Uh, When I became a locksmith, uh, man, I am mechanically inept. And, and when they hired me, and I warned them that up front, I don't, I don't even know which end of a screwdriver to hold. You guys, uh, and I certainly can't tell the difference between a left-hand and a right-hand screwdriver. So uh, let, you, know, you guys are going to have to teach me this stuff. And, and I am a bit of a book learner, and I appreciate that my boss, Rick, you know, the first day of the work, he sat me down with this 500-page book on locksmithing and said, I've never read through this. I, I, I'm, that's not how I learn, he said. But if you're a book person, read this book. It will, and it did. And it did. Um, and, and, it, and, and, I, and I became a better locksmith because of working under Rick and apprenticing and reading and, and, and going to locksmith conferences. Those were things. And, and I put all that effort into it to learn the trade. Um, it, I, didn't, I didn't just grow overnight as a, as a locksmith. I, I had to train and study. And spiritual growth is actually like that. Because it's not spiritual growth, it's spiritual training. It takes work. We have to treat our spiritual health not like something that is automatic or is owed to us, that we will absorb by osmosis. We treat it as something important, worth putting effort into. Paul talks about physical training has some value, but spiritual training is of more value. We, We put work into our appearance, whether that's ladies' makeup in the morning in front of the mirror, whether that's watching our diet and watching what we eat as opposed to just taking anything in, uh, maybe exercise. We, we, we put work into things that won't last. Our spiritual relationship with God will last for eternity. It is worth putting effort into. We, sh- we should become... At- we, I, I'm a big believer. I had a professor once that if everybody in the church picked a book of the Bible to be an expert. And we've got 76 people here today, it says. Um, there are 66 books in the Bible. Imagine if everybody was an expert in a different book of the Bible. There was one book that would, that'd be an amazing church to be a part of. If, if I knew, Keaton, you sit in the front row, you get picked on, you know the rules. If, if I knew that Keaton was studying the book of Daniel fastidiously, um, if I was working on a Bible study and, and, and Daniel came up, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to say, Keaton, uh, you know, with all your years of study on this one book, well, I've got some questions for you. Wouldn't that be neat if we could go to each other, if we were all experts in a different book of the Bible, and, and it wasn't just all in the hands of one or two people? This book matters. It's worth putting effort into. The spirituality is the one thing that, that lasts our relationship with God. It takes effort. 
we need to affect our spiritual plan and not just assume that that spiritual growth will happen, but that spiritual training takes time. And so we move on in First Timothy chapter four, in verse twelve, Paul says to Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. If spiritual maturity was easy, everybody would do it, right? We'd be there already. Um, we, We have to make a plan. We have to put it into effect. But it's still difficult. Often what we need are examples. That's, that's, it, if algebra was easy, we wouldn't need to be taught in school. We just, I'd just tell my kid, here, read this algebra book, go. But education doesn't work that way. We need teachers to show us examples and to work us through things. And, and spiritually we need that. That's why we have Sunday school and teachers. And it's why preaching is a thing that God gives us. We need someone to explain things to us. We have the danger that we can treat spiritual maturity a a little too personally. You do your thing, I'll do mine, and and leave me alone. Uh, we, we We don't like accountability, frankly. Mind your own business is kind of the American catchphrase. But the truth is that the family of God... The church is set up to be accountable to each other. He doesn't, God doesn't want us to be loners. One of the reasons uh, that, that you look back in, in history and, and the monastic tradition of Europe, the monks, um, one of the problems that I have with that is so many of them locked themselves, cloistered themselves away in little cells and read the Bible. Now, they would copy the Bible by hand, and I deeply respect that. I don't know if we would have the Bible the way that we do if it wasn't for their efforts. But locking yourself away from the world and having nothing to do with your fellow man is not biblical, just the opposite. The church is accountable to each other. Timothy, despite his youth, is called upon to set an example for the rest of the church. Now, is that arrogant of Timothy to say, follow my example? (coughs) Excuse me. Not... If Timothy's example is Christ-like, that's what we want. We are too caught up in our own lives. And we are not caught up enough in living for the next generation. Setting an example for the kids of the church, the young people of the church, the new converts to the faith. If our current generation, if, if, if our kids today don't seem very spiritual... Don't we have to ask ourselves the question, did we set them a bad example? Did we, did we fail to share our, our, our faith? Now, again, they've got their own volition. They can make their own decisions. But we do need to look at the example that we are setting. Rather than get caught up in ourselves, we need to look past our own lives and look to the spiritual health of the whole church. The church grows when my question isn't what's in it for me, but how can I serve the body of Christ? How can I serve 
the bride of Christ. What, what do I have to give? How can I be mature and help my brothers and sisters in Christ? At some point, I need to quit being a spiritual infant. Infants eat and sleep and poop. And that's, that's what babies do. But at some point, they grow past that and become active members of society and community and they contribute and and they're not just takers they give spiritually there's a point when we're spiritual infants but we don't want to stay there there's a point then when we grow past that and we're able to give and to share and and to contribute to god's church what do i contribute to the to the church if i if i'm gone will i even be missed Churches around the world are struggling to have enough teachers to teach the next generation, to teach the kids, struggling to fill roles of elders and deacons. And so many times people say, well, I'm not qualified to do that. Nobody's born qualified. We train to get there. And if everybody says, I don't feel like it, that's too much work, then there will be no, ne- there will be no church in our next generation. The church will die. We must devote ourselves to that which matters, which is God's church and our relationship with God through Christ and his church. We we need passion in training and, 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 and building up the church of Christ. We're not called to sit around and be comfortable. We're not called to be traditional and go through the motions. We're called to be active. To, to mentor the next generation. And, and there's a point when we're new in the faith, and then, and then there's a point that we grow past that. And it, and, and, and it doesn't come easy. And that gets into the, kind of where, where Paul ends. Verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. So that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's, let's be honest. Let's, let's, not, let's not pretend. Some days, some years, the Christian walk is a struggle. It doesn't always come easy. Some days it's a real slog. Satan is our enemy. He doesn't want it to go easy for you and will make life difficult. I I think our problem is that a lot of people look at Christianity as something that they tack into their life, like like a hobby, uh, something something that, that, that they add to their existing life. But the truth is that Christianity is a lifestyle. It kind of reminds me of a diet that... When I decide I'm going to eat healthier, and, and then 24 hours later I, say, I, I stand on the scale and say, well, I gave up soda yesterday. Why? This isn't working. I, I, I didn't drink a soda for a whole day. How have I not lost five pounds? And, and that's why people give up on diets, right? <laughs> because, because they take, it's a lifestyle change. It's, it, it's, it's not just 20. Any, anybody can put effort into something for 24 hours. A diet is a lifestyle change. Anybody can be spiritual for 24 hours. Following Christ is a lifestyle. 
I can give up sin for a day, but or at least some sins. <laughs> but giving up being being godly for the rest of my life, ooh, that that takes effort. That's tough. And and too many of us like our sins. We don't want to give them up. Uh, you know, the church is going to be effective when we quit playing around and when we devote ourselves to God and not just try to treat him like a hobby on the side. This doesn't, this doesn't mean that we live miserably, um, that, 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 that we mope around and, and, and complain about all the things that we've given up to follow Christ. I do think that Christians live more abundantly. I think the Christian life is so much better than the non-Christian life. But it does mean that my priority is not myself and not my fun. I'm not out for myself. My, my faith must be deliberate and constant, and that takes effort. And, and too many of us, that effort is where we struggle. It's not that we don't want to. The spirit is willing, but, but the flesh is weak. This is why Paul, in that athletic language, talks about uh, buffeting his body. Because anything worth doing, anything worth having, has a cost. Salvation, admittedly, it costs Christ more than it will cost us, but it does have a cost. We surrender our entire life to God through Jesus. Or, or we come to church once a week, we fold our arms, we sit back, we, we, resent, we resent being made to feel maybe a little uncomfortable. I'm fine. I'm fine as I am. Why does the preacher want to ruin my comfortable lifestyle? The, the outcome... The outcome of effective training is effective ministry. We're a team. This is a team effort. The church rises and falls, not, not, on, the, not on elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers alone. We're all ministers. We're the body of Christ, and we're all, we're all in this together. You know, the, the bride of Christ matters. It is God's gift to us, and, and it is our call to grow, to train, to affect spiritual maturity in us so that we can share it with the world. Our faith must be deliberate. deliberate. Our, our hymn, I don't know what our hymn of invitation is, but we have a hymn of invitation. It is 487? Okay. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 487, I Am Resolved. Our hope is in the living God. It's not, it's not in jobs. It's not in clubs or memberships or programs or attendance. It's not in things at the church. It is our relationship with God through Christ that is what saves us, that is what matters. Are we drawing close to the living God? If there's a decision that you need to make for Christ, let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.